Content warning. The following episode makes brief mention of childhood trauma and body image. So please proceed accordingly and take care. Welcome to the Skaterade podcast. I'm Jasmine. I'm Mac. Today we're here with Ariana Santiago, a New York native who is no stranger to the local rink and rhythm skating scene. She skated professionally for major skate productions such as Discoesis here in New York City. She's also an accomplished artist tackling topics from Latinx identity, insomnia, and even the whimsical magic of plants and matcha. When she's not pursuing <laughs> when she's not pursuing a master's as a development artist, she's delighting her fellow skaters with her signature flowy style. Her approach is both graceful and unusual in the best possible way. We're excited to share a bit of her story with you today. Hi. Oh, thank you guys. <laughs> Hello. Aww. Would it help to mention that we've tried to do this three times? Hey, we might as well. Yeah. This is <laughs> This is our 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 third attempt, which I guess is um a, a testament <laughs> to uh <laughs> the the DIY nature of the roller skating community in general because for the first <laughs> for the first instance i didn't give you very good recording instructions and we had a bad internet connection no, and then on the second one you were at guitar center <laughs> goddamn guitar center that was horrendous that was on you guys that was that was a joke yeah. You're like, what are you doing? Where are you at? At the mall. Yeah, we just couldn't get on the same uh, wavelengths of, you know, to meet each other's needs. But here we are. The third time's the charm. Yeah, That's what they say, the right? Look, listen, some of us do it differently. And when it, comes, it, might as well. it just takes a little minute, it takes a minute. Yeah. Look, Shit, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Okay. So can you tell us how your skate journey started and how it's going? Sure. Um, I'll try to be concise with this, but it started rhythm. <laughs> I'll try my best. Um, it initially started the real origin was with my dad. He used to be a rink ref when he was in his teens. And when we would go to the rink, it would be once or twice a year. And the most that I learned was forward fast skating. And then pandemic hit and I was with my family in Florida for the summer of 2020 and my grandpa, he had, I think it was Sure Grips. It was vintage Sure Grips. They were like a size 11. And I was like, hey, can I can I use these? I don't have skates. And he was like, sure, no problem. So within that time frame, I learned how to skate backwards, like five days to a week. And then I decided I'm going to order some crappy skates. And I did. Once I got home, I ordered my first pair of skates. They were sold by a company called Angel Skates. They didn't last me more than like two and a half months, if that. And then, yeah, I met what became the NYC Brujas at the time, a couple of the members then, at my first ever Roller Wave event. And I've just been going on ever since. It's It's been, it's been very interesting. I did park skating once. <laughs> Somebody take me park skating. <laughs> I learned how to do that during a Halloween event with the Peaches. Done a lot of rink skating, doing... Disco Oasis, skating for flippers, doing New York Fashion Week. Um, they've all incentivized me to, you know, further my skills and to just believe in my individual style. And again, I just want to say thank you guys for having me here and just being so sweet. And 
I guess acknowledging that maybe there is a story to tell with my skating inside and out of the community. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. That's, that's really how it's going. No, so. we're glad to have you here. And listening to you just now has me reflecting back to, because I'm also a pandemic skater. Mac is a little more seasoned. Mm-hmm. Um, because they've been skating like most yeah. most of your life. That's fair to say, right? Between ice skating and roller skating. Oh, yeah, definitely. For as long as I can remember, basically. Yeah. Um, as a pandemic skater, there's a lot of stuff that you're saying that brings back a lot of memories of being a pandemic skater in New York. Like, I'm guessing that you weren't spending a lot of time on Reddit on our roller skating, but those were bl- those were blowing mm-hmm. up with warnings about angel skates. And how you shouldn't be on angel skates. <laughs> oh, my God. The way that I blew them yeah. up. Oh, but it's Lord. fun. To go along that case in point, I'm pretty sure that r slash mentioned Alibaba and how you could find those they exact did. skates on Alibaba for like $9. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember I remember that very post. I had many, many, many upvotes. <laughs> Oh my god, that was so upsetting. I was like, why are you trying to sell these for $150? That's that was and wild. then also New York specific. It's fun to hear you talk about the pandemic era skate crews that popped up because uh Peaches and Screams mm. no longer exists to my knowledge. Brujas no longer exists to my knowledge. Yeah, we're done. We're done. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting to, you know, have that little snapshot in time because I remember following both groups and being like, skate crews? What are these skate crews doing? I'm so intrigued. This is so cool. Honestly, same because I was like in New York, I don't see a lot of stuff like that. And yeah. I remember when they were all kind of cropping up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, finally, like, finally, let's yeah. go. I'll give to Brujas. That, that brought me to several of my long-term friends to this day that brought me and a couple of us you know in correlation with flippers and we were able to do kappa and because of those experiences having those connections getting more involved in the community and having at the time a really beautiful friendship there were a lot of good things going for the bras and then you know disco aces happened and a lot of interpersonal things happened and it kind of just fell off and it's fine it's a lot of things are inevitably going to end but yeah having those spaces especially predominantly queer and people of color skate spaces just felt great to have and those types of skate communities and collectives brought me into meeting a lot of rink skaters who I'm also really close to and brought me into meeting you guys who I think we're having a really cute and budding relationship and it's just it's just really sweet it's always been very warm every time I would speak to the both of you whether it was you know via text or going to five strides so it's it's just brought a lot of beautiful people into my life and I often reflect on that so true that really brings me to my next question which is looking back at the early days of your skate journey could you have ever imagined where roller skating would take you today oh fuck no (laughs) like no matter how many times i'm asked that question i would never have anticipated it would take me to where i am today because i've been able to say skating has paid my bills i've been able to perform and i've been able to learned so much over the last three years and each opportunity has led to another opportunity even uh, yeah even fashion week this past september i didn't i didn't ever think i would be skating for adidas i didn't ever think 
Paul Landry would want to have a skate performance with me as part of the cast. And it's just always a, wow, this this is happening right now kind of experience. And I, I'm just constantly on edge, even... I hope I hope she's okay with me talking about this. My friend Mari, she goes by Mass Skaters. Um, she's Baby Element on Instagram. Super sweet, warm, silly person. I, I love her to death. And she also goes to film school. And she asked me if I wanted to audition for a film that she was doing. So I did the audition. I got the part. Lo and behold, like a couple weeks before we start shooting, I'm reading the script and I'm the lead and I'm like, Mari, I didn't think I was going to be the lead. What are you doing here? I've never acted before. So <laughs> last was it last week or the week prior? I want to say two weeks ago, we shot the film in, in like three days. And yeah, it's a, it's a film about roller skating. It was really fun because we also got to conclude the role at Branch Brook and it was a really nice night with each other. Yeah, like I never thought I would be able to say I acted like dialogue and everything because of roller wow. skating. Wow. So she just sprung that on so, you. You didn't even yeah. know. It's it's that. <laughs> no, um yes, I know. I didn't know that it would be mm. to that extent. She we did have a conversation months prior and she's been she's been coming to terms with the notion of creating films for the community, you know. There's a lot of skate films that kind of glamorize the concept of skating, but those aren't people who are inherently involved within the community and understand the niches and the different styles and the different genres of roller skating period. So the fact that she's a very eclectic skater in herself, in and of herself and has been immersed in it, she wanted to continuously or she wants to continuously bring notice to yeah. the skate community. And yeah, the fact that I was able to be involved, I'm, I'm super grateful and I can't wait to see what else happens Something I think about with skate community too sometimes is like so many people in the community are like also artists. Like I feel like there's something about skating that like attracts mm. artists or like vice versa or something. Yeah, it's I think the best word to describe New York skaters, no matter the genre or style, is interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. um, I've just met many, many a skater who does a lot of different things or has so many different talents and skills outside of skating. And it's just, it adds more to their story as well. And it adds more just flavor and diversification mm -hmm. in the way that we interact with each other. So it's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. In terms of, you know, taking on this lead role, essentially, in this film, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to like being in the spotlight and being perceived and kind of like being that center of attention <laughs> i've never i've never wanted that honestly it's why i didn't even so i guess i'll give a little history i did go to high school for studio art i went to laguardia but i also did musical theater and i was able to double major my senior year for vocal so every single year since freshman year um up, up until graduation i did either a talent show or I was a part of a gala. My senior year, we did the gala and also, you know, the show choir show. And that was when I got my first ever solo. It was with a trio, but it was like our solo regardless. And it was very difficult for me to understand what it was to be in the spotlight or to even desire the spotlight because I saw how it negatively impacted a lot of my classmates or my peers or castmates in productions. They 
lot of them came from this background and had this prior training. So it was dance lessons, acting lessons, voice lessons, you name it. And here was this random ass art major who kind of just taught herself everything from, you know, observing. And another component was, you know, being one of the few brown girls or people of color on those, you know, productions. It was it was kind of like unsolicited attention in a lot of cases. And I didn't really know how to cope with it. And I think it wasn't until you know, flippers and disc oasis where I started to get comfortable with that mindset, you know, like I had the experience and there were going to be a lot of cameras, a lot of phones, a lot of attention that would come from that, whether it was directly onto me or indirectly from like being in the background or like one of the things was, hey, you want to be a part of this Rolling Stone interview? And it was myself, Miss Lemay and Troy. And we did that right before our performance run for the day. So it was like those kinds of moments where I just had to accept it. And even going to this role, I just had to accept it. I had to accept that I'm taking on this role. This is this is to bring somebody else's vision alive, which was another reason I was able to do it comfortably. But it was a lot of watching scenes or monologues that I really enjoyed speaking to my partner who also went to LaGuardia and he was a drama major and really internalizing a lot of what he discussed or whatever he experienced. It was, yeah, just the prep to that was what enabled me to be comfortable enough with attention to or spotlight. Mm-hmm. And you've also been in some like skate battles and done some skate performance stuff. Um, what has that been like for you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first one... Actually, both of those opportunities were by my friend Sid. The first one, I remember the night of, I was around a couple of couple of castmates that, you know, mutually, we, we don't like each other. And that's another story for another time. But I remember right before the dance battle, I don't know what it had, I don't know why, but my knee, I had dislocated and relocated it during the run of Disco Oasis. And... I hadn't felt any pain up until like an hour before we started the skate battle. And I just knew that I wasn't going to do my best. I didn't, I didn't pick the best song. I didn't do my best like period. And I won um, my second round because of a technicality. Mind you, the person I was going against, (laughs) name is Kalia. She could skate her ass off. She's, she's a JB skater. She's been skating since young. She, when I tell you her skate literally lit up on fire, uh, it sparked when she did a move. Like, I was like, oh, there is no fucking way that I'm going to be. <laughs> there is no way I'm beating this person. But because our our round was dips, we had to do dips. She, They said that she didn't do dips. It was more freestyle. So I won. And then the final round, yeah, everybody voted me. And I was like, I that was that was not. That was not it. Thank you. But I don't think I deserved. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was weird. And then the burlesque performance was just me coming to terms with, okay, Sid asked me to do this again. There has to be some value in what I do in terms of a skater. So let me do my best. And a lot of people came out of that experience from viewing that experience saying, yeah, that was that was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And the implementation of voguing, I've there's very few skaters I've seen implement vogue or whacking into what they do. Um, so I'm happy that I get to bring 
that to the forefront mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. hope that was Yeah, cohesive. I mean, one thing that's like a through line for a lot of it that I'm hearing is that like, for you, you're willing to kind of put yourself out there and you're willing to perform in some ways, but that it, in a lot of ways for these main kind mm-hmm. of moments, it's because you were sort of invited in by someone or become because someone kind of saw something in you or was like, I like, I want you specifically kind of in this space, whether it was like kind of getting the solo at school or like having your friend be like, I see you as the lead role, having your friend Sid be like, you know, I want to have you back, you know, like that seems like a little bit of a through line in some yeah. ways. Yeah. It's, it's also, um, I found myself overthinking it and being like, Oh, pr- I probably got this cause somebody else said mm. no, or maybe it's just this one particular thing that nobody else is doing or, you know, like I just, the biggest trope would be maybe I was just the second choice. And I think I've internalized a lot of that. Yeah, it wasn't until I started communicating like how I feel or just talking about my childhood, especially with my dad, that that feeling started to relinquish. You know, he was he was constantly working and I didn't necessarily have like a permanent mother figure. So a lot of the things that I did were inter or hyper independent um, for the most part. So I guess it took a lot of unlearning for me to be like, hey, um, don't do that to yourself. You are valuable. You do have something to offer. Um, there's a reason why people want to be around you. There's a reason why you're being asked to partake in these opportunities. So just be kinder to yourself, especially if you're kind to other people. And yeah, I've just, I've been doing my damnness to not let my intrusive thoughts win and for my brain to accept them as truths because what is the statistic? We have like over 10,000 thoughts a day. Majority of them aren't true. <laughs> like, Why are you listening to the ones who are yelling at you and they're false? So yeah, that's mental health is important. <laughs> you need to take care of it. No, totally. I want to do a little bit of a, a callback to something that you mentioned. You mentioned whacking and voguing. And I know that that's a big part of mm. your style. And I was wondering how whacking and voguing has influenced your skating, not just stylistically, but also in terms of attitude, because it sounds like you've had a journey with Mm. self-perception. And I would imagine that that would be part of that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I feel like once I started to learn how to whack and vogue, it was from ballroom professionals. Um, There's one that I follow. They used to go by Gravity Jacobs, now they're Gravity Balmain, and they would post a lot of tutorials on figure eight work, hand tutting or hand choreography on Instagram, and I would just learn from them and learn the drills and warm-ups that they would provide. There was um, a duo at the time when I was in college called Ayasado. Ayasado? Ayasado. And they were a couple. They're no longer a couple, but Ayas still doing choreography. Phenomenal vloggers absolutely phenomenal they do a lot of old wave style old way style um but it's just super crisp and clean and i wanted to learn that because it taught me how to have more to do on the top versus on the bottom when we're skating we tend to focus a lot on what our legs and our feet are doing and we kind of neglect and forget what we're doing on top so learning how to maneuver my hands learning how to maneuver my arms and use that to continue momentum especially if it's if i were to go upward i can use that momentum and add it into a spin or add it into a corkscrew or even go down and do floor work you know and if i'm doing floor work i can easily 
do a, a quick combo into a dip. Like it, it's, it's very fun to problem solve through those moves. And I, I was thinking about this maybe a couple of weeks ago as well. The reason I learned was because of a friend that passed away. One of the last things that we messaged each other, I remember sending him a video and it was somebody who was doing a little bit of tutting and duck walking. And I said, one day we're going to learn this, one day we're going to learn this. And not two weeks later, they passed away. And I just kind of internalized that if there's anything I'm going to do, one is keep up your legacy and two, learn this in honor of one of the last things we spoke about. So yeah, that's that's why I learned how to Vogue. And then whacking kind of came during Disco Oasis because of our lead choreographer, Shernita. She is a whacker. Phenomenal. She included it in the choreography. And I just wanted to learn the distinction between both. So now I do both. That's beautiful. That's really cool and powerful. Thank you. How would you say your relationship to movement and your body has changed since you started skating? Oh, exponentially. I feel like when I first started, I didn't really understand what my body was doing. You know, I always danced. I always danced for fun. I always learned choreography for fun. But there's there's this separation from doing it as a hobby and doing things seriously. And I think once I started to take skating seriously, I started to take dancing seriously. One of my best friends, Victoria Ralston, she has been an inspiration for the longest. She She's absolutely phenomenal. The connection that she has with her body is... I can't describe it. it. She moves like water. That's that's the <laughs> only way I can describe it. And watching her move and watching her talk about dance choreo- choreographing period has enabled me to think about how I perceive movement and how careful you should be when you're introducing yourself to newer forms of movement. And I feel like my relationship with movement has just there's a lot more respect, hands down. There's a lot more respect for what contemporary dancers, rhythm skaters, jam skaters, break dancers, there's there's a lot of respect because your body withholds a lot of endurance and strength. Like it, it's that that's one of the biggest things. And there's also the aftercare. Like I don't think a lot of people are really serious about aftercare when it comes to like a three to five hour skate session or you know, prepping for a performance that's going to be 12 minutes long, learning how to properly stretch, stay hydrated, you know, do Pilates, do yoga, muscle training, muscle strengthening, doing all of that enables you to preserve your movement for the long term. And yeah, that's another thing that I've implemented because of movement in relation to skating. Did you have much of like a physical practice with like you know, stretching, strength stuff, anything like that before skating? Yeah. Um, oh, this is a sad story. <laughs> um, junior year of high school was like really, really bad for me. My my ex-step family at the time was just super psychologically abusive, emotionally abusive. And around that time, my dad was home more because he switched his scheduling. Yeah, that family essentially dissipated and we were still living in the same space until... 2015 yeah so 2014 everything felt to shit 20 oh 2014 everything felt to shit 2015 was the new year and in that time frame I also experienced my first breakup and 
I just didn't know what to do with myself mentally. And I remember one comment, a lot of comments by family members, honestly, um, about my weight, because I was chubbier. I, I always was on the heavier side up until like age nine or age 10. But it started to show again in high school. And with everything that was happening around me, I kind of just took it upon myself to lose myself in my work. Um, I kind of developed insomnia and my partner can tell you because that's when we started to get close as well. We were often having late, late night Skype calls while I was doing homework and writing essays for my AP courses. He would do the same or he would game or he would relax. Like he, he was like less intense in terms of that. But then I started looking up Pilates, so I would make it a point that even though I got 15, 20 minutes of sleep that day, I would do 10, 15 minutes of Pilates, shower, and I was up at like 4.35 in the morning um, in junior year for school. So it essentially taught me how to develop structure, even though the origins of it was really, you know, heart-wrenching um, or just a little sad. But yeah, I was often going to the gym in my early college years, using it as a means to just stay thinner or, you know, really abusing my body in a way where I don't even like going to the gym anymore. Like, I, I can't think about going to the gym without thinking about the person I used to be who didn't really care for herself outside of deadlifting or squatting or just, yeah. It was all for the aesthetic. And I feel like once I came back to all of that for... Disco Oasis, especially, it was a lot more natural. It was using food as a means of giving my body energy, um, using movement as a means of helping regulate my mental stability or mental clarity. And yeah, it's a lot more positive now that I'm a 20 something. So, yeah. It sounds like it really kind of, yeah. in some ways, not only structure, but like you learned a little bit of like discipline in some ways, and maybe that swung in an unhealthy direction. Mm -hmm. um, on some level but yeah it seems like that has sort of contributed to being in a place where you, I'm guessing you had tools and like things to pull from when it came to skating and like prepping for Disco Oasis and sort of starting to think about some of that stuff there it's like oh so, okay so I already sort of understand my body in certain ways or understand like a, a, a aspects of fitness in certain ways so you had a little bit of background in that to, to rely on. Mm -hmm. I'm happy that you were able to uh, channel it into mm -hmm. something healthy and productive. Mm -hmm. really happy to hear that thank you. thank you yeah it's I feel like transmutation especially for the negative experiences or emotions is very difficult for a lot of people and yeah you just have to figure out how to be resilient for yourself first before anybody else and it kind of it takes time for you to get to that point but that's I, I'm a strong advocate for that, being resilient and doing things for you first because it won't feel like a chore once you've gotten comfortable with that habit or comfortable with that mindset. And yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Ari, <laughs> has roller skating changed your What's perception up? of self at all? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like... Uh, to sum up everything, right? I feel like I hold more value for and of myself because of skating. I feel like I've been able to realize a lot of different aspects and components of myself because of roller skating, what my body can and can't do, 
what else I can learn if I do try enough. Um, how to balance my work life <laughs> situation. Cause there's days where I, like two weeks ago, I completely neglected my schoolwork <laughs> and I fell behind because I was skating for like four or five days. So skating has taught me how to be more tough on myself in regards to that and making sure that everything is given the equal amount of attention. Um, yeah, it's it's made me happier. It's It's made me happier to the point where I can't even feel remotely comfortable going a week without skating like I have to do it because I'm starting a new I'll talk about this position um I'm starting a new freelance job in the next couple of days um but yeah it's it's with an animation studio and I have to be like okay I know I'm gonna lose myself if I allow myself to skate and skate for long periods because I don't do just like two hours I do like five hour skate sessions (laughs) and I really need that time to focus on on this client so yeah that's awesome it, it's strange mm-hmm. congratulations <laughs> thanks me okay so we've talked a little bit about your experiences in professional roller skating namely disco oasis how would you sum up your experience of skating mm-hmm. for disco oasis what were some of the highlights and what made it challenging? Um, whenever I think of Disco Oasis, I think about my friend Jason. When we had really rough days or when there were days where we just had a moment to just skate with each other, he would always make the point to say, look up, we're in New York. And it kind of just took me away from a lot of a lot of the craziest stuff that may have happened that day or a lot of the overwhelming energies we may have participated with and in because, you know, we had a lot of people, especially during the weekends. We had a lot of an exponential amount of people when it was Beyonce night or Madonna night. Like it's <laughs> People came through and that was like a grounding exercise. He kind of he kind of instilled in me. So even when we did flippers this year, I remember getting teary eyed and saying, you know, that that really changed like my, my overall perception and retrospect for Disco Oasis because um, I guess I'll start with the good parts. The good parts were meeting a lot of my inspirations turned friends. Mariah was one of them. She was one of the reasons why I wanted to learn, you know, rhythm skating in the first place. She just had this way of skating that felt funky. She she has a funk to the way that she skates and she also has the technical skill to do spins to do floor work she taught me how to do pendulum kicks and alpha kicks and if you guys don't know alpha kicks are also derivative from you know break dancing so imagine that but with like 15 pounds extra on your feet <laughs> so <laughs> do with that what you mean but it, it just brought a unification of different styles together different personalities i got better because of disco oasis i learned how important musicality was because of disco oasis in relation to the djs if it was if it was a not so good night we didn't want to skate but if that dj was popping you could not get us off the floor (laughs) that was i really loved it when everybody was just vibing off of each other but the more difficult components were i will say rainy days rainy days we would have to show up regardless of whether or not we were performing there were some crewmates who just had a negative mindset just going in day in and day out try to you know 
project that on everybody. My one question was, how could you be so upset when we are literally on skates for five hours a day in disco attire, mostly listening to beautiful music, dancing with each other? How can you be so upset when you're doing something that you supposedly love? You know what I mean? That really put into perspective the concept of skating for money and skating because you love it. And I started to realize those people don't love it. And one of them in particular said that to me. It was just it was just for them to make money. So they didn't really try. And it showed. It showed in the way that they performed. It showed in the way that they cared for the craft or lack thereof. And I think I'm grateful to the mistreatment from them because it made me realize what I will not tolerate from people who I presume as friends or you know strangers it's there's only so much you can do to the person who is so welcoming and I think I'm a pretty sensitive person I'm a very empathetic person and my body reacts to the energy that is projected so when it comes to negative energy I always try to mediate and I always try to console and I think those people often took advantage of that so again establishing boundaries whether it was interpersonal or professional um i didn't really have issues with management i think management for the most part was very wonderful to us and yeah i would do it again (laughs) just just not with those people (laughs) i wouldn't do it with them oh no they can yeah it's my understanding that the schedule was like fairly grueling in terms of like hours put in every week and like just hours of the day and everything. And um, mm. even in terms of like rehearsals and everything as well. Um, and earlier you kind of referenced, you know, some of the body care that you had to really put in. Um, can you speak to that aspect of it at all? Of course. That first week was hell physically. Like everything else I was like, oh, this is I'm I'm in it. I'm in it for the long run at this point. The contracts are signed. The booster shots are submitted. (laughs) But I remember the first two days, we did maybe 10 10 hours of rehearsal. And I had to learn how to do a one-foot spin on the spot because I had just learned how to do slow-ass toe spins at Pier 76. But now you're having me do a 10-minute long performance where... I haven't done this much skating, period. And you want me to do this every day? So it was it was a reality check that, you know, skaters are athletes as well. Skaters can be performers as well. And, you know, we were hired because we were good at what we we do. We we have a performance to the way that we skate. But yeah, I didn't know how to do floor work. I didn't know how to spin. I didn't know how to do a lot. I knew how to groove. I knew how to how to pick up choreography. Translating it on skates, that was a whole different situation. Um, but I think that's where um, foundations of dance or foundations of anything else that I've practiced throughout my life, they really started to kick in. I think the, the worst thing that I thought of um, during that first week was, why was I chosen? Why was I hired? I can't do what a lot of these people are doing especially the West Coast skaters. Talk all the shit you want. They they can skate. They they have a lot of advantages. They have a lot of time and resources to learn how to do, you know, sliding, to do artistic, to do park skating because they have the weather for it as well. And it showed. It showed in the way that they skated. And it showed in the way that 
they carried themselves. I so yeah, it, it was it was a reality check. I think all of that, you know, access and opportunity is is amazing. But I think sometimes, especially in your case, I will say, I feel like you have to step back and observe what it is about you that is unique because the way that you skate, mm-hmm. I can't really think of anyone that moves quite like you. So I could definitely imagine being mm-hmm. a casting director and being like, this one's got something different. Mm-hmm. And that's why they picked you. Thank you so much for that. And I think I remember vividly getting on the phone with my partner and being like, hey, I don't know why I'm here. And that was his immediate response. You know, you were chosen for a reason. You were chosen because you have something that everybody else doesn't have. You may not have the technical skills, sure, but that means there's time to build that. That that just takes time and practice. So that's how I, I took every single performance day. If we weren't doing ambient skating, if we weren't doing a performance, I was drilling. I was taking breaks and then drilling again. And I was asking questions and I was checking in on my castmates and yeah, just asking about everybody's story as well. Um, In addition, because again, not everybody skated for the same reason. I have this very vivid memory. One time it was maybe one of the earlier times that I had met you. You came into the skate shop and we might have been helping someone else. And the skate shop, as listeners can imagine, is a pretty small space. And there's even less space to skate in. It's not a space mm-hmm. that's designed to skate in. It's a space that's designed for or people to come and try on skates and, and buy skate product. So in this very tiny space, I remember seeing you doing little spins and floor work in a tiny, tiny space. And you were like getting <laughs> down on the floor and like doing these little leg extensions. And it was so quiet. You wouldn't even know what was going on unless you looked in that direction. <laughs> Incredible. Like. Finesse. Yeah. Finesse. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just being like, wow. I, I know. It's- There's no sounds. There's barely any sounds. Exactly when that was too. <laughs> yeah it was so wild it was so because usually when people are skating in the store they're like no you put on the falcon plate (laughs) myself included (laughs) yeah i love those sound effects professional yeah no that's so funny (laughs) that is so funny no you have that i thank you i just didn't want to make i didn't want to make noise so i tried my best to withhold (laughs) everything well Oh my goodness. That makes that's me so a little bit sad that that's why it was so quiet, but I'm still impressed because it was so quiet, but it was so good at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Aww. No, yeah, I just didn't want to be so interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt anything in regards that's to it. So it was just being careful. And also I had never had dance plates. No, I mean, it was Thank it was a show. And it was a quiet show. <laughs> Incredible. My favorite kind, honestly. Honestly, oh, yeah, me too. Because like <laughs> no. I'm whispering when I skate. Sometimes oh I do have a hard time with noise. So like, yeah, like a quiet and impressive show. Wow. That's wow. my dream right there. Meanwhile, I'm like, no, Ari, please keep taking up space. God, <laughs> we need it. No, you do that too. Do that too. Do it all. Keep going. No, do I'm gonna all. call do me silent all. disco. That's what I'm- your silence speaks volumes. 
Oh. Oh. <laughs> me over here with the... Jasmine's those. waxing poetic right yeah, now. That's me. That's me. <laughs> Let's go. So, something that I'm really interested in about your time at Disco Oasis is you mentioned you had a de- well, you had a knee dislocation. And after that happened, I saw you talk on social media about learning the importance of practicing both sides. Can you share a little bit of advice with listeners about <laughs> about (laughs) the discipline of practicing both sides because as we all know all skaters have a dominant side and a weaker side Mm -hmm. that's something I internalized from Shade um she was very big on practicing her edge work and making sure that both sides were in equilibrium especially when again when we had the downtime she was you know doing her figure eights she was practicing her form so that when she was doing her spins whether it was one foot whether it was toe spins whether it was sit spins it always looked and felt you know equalized and when I didn't have that dominant side to rely on I had to figure out how to do the same moves but on the other side so I kind of just forced myself to do my best and practice so that regardless of whatever I was feeling even with pendulum kicks I'm trying to practice the other side and snake walks I'm trying to practice the other side because if there's if I'm putting all of that weight on one side then it's going to tire out more easily and it kind you can see it in a performer or in a skater when they're overexerting in a way my thing is if you want to grow and if you want to understand especially the nuances of a trick teach yourself on the opposite side. Break it down slower and your body will catch up and you'll eventually understand it. I I think it leads to a more rounded experience in roller skating or even just anything you do. Like I've had to draw with my left hand because my teacher said so. It it does wonders to the kind of gestures you're going to come out with. Like it's a lot more loose. It's a lot more, you know, chicken scratchy. Um, But you learn how to maneuver and control that and fine tune it. There's something to be said also for, at least from my perspective, which is sort of like hockey and roller derby primarily, but there's also something to be said for mm-hmm. like injury prevention. And like, yeah, if you have one side that's like super overdeveloped mm-hmm. and one side that's underdeveloped, that underdeveloped side is not going to really help you if something goes weird. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So there's also something to be said for mm-hmm. the proprioceptive sort of benefits of really understanding your body from both sides and really kind of being able to rely, like, really know and feel solid and like I can rely on my left side if like I lose my balance or something goes weird I don't I'm not gonna like break my left Mm -hmm. ankle or something because that foot is not quite gonna be as ready as my right foot to like catch myself or catch my like you know what I mean so there's also something to be said for that yeah um it's just kind of interesting to be like oh you know for you like it kind of came a little bit more after injury but even still I I do think there is Mm -hmm. benefit to even just at the end of like a practice session or something being like, let me just run through everything a couple of times on my weak side. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be something where you're always consistently doing it that way. But I do think there is a benefit, like you're saying, even just yeah. once in a while being. Very much so. Yeah. 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 You also build trust with yourself when you can do it both ways. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, yay, confidence booster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In terms of 
skating for you, you know, something you've mentioned earlier is like mental health feeling important. And I know for a lot of skaters, skating is something that is sort of intertwined with mental health, whether it's, you know, I've met people where it's kind of like, if I'm having a bad day, I feel like I can't really skate. Or if I'm there's people where it's like, if I'm having a bad day, skating is I gotta go and I gotta do it. And I'm wondering for you, throughout your skate journey, you know, where and how has mental health kind of plugged in for you? Um, or how has that sort of overlapped with how you've experienced skating and moved through your own processes with skating? Mm-hmm. It, I think the short answer is it fluctuates. It depends on what's happening in my life. So, um, like, I, I'm a freelancer. I'm a freelance artist. And there are a lot of instances where I don't have a consistent flow of income. And admittedly, that prevents me from skating a lot of times because I don't have the budget for it or I just don't have the money period to do a skate session or two and also pay for commuting. Um, So that's when I would try to find more accessible skate spots like Pier 76 or a random ass court and just have a skate session there. But, you know, like in this time frame right now, I... I'm in a space where although I am trying my best to budget because I haven't had anything as consistent, I'm about to start something that has that has a lot of opportunity. It, it's going to provide me with the financial stability that can enable me to not only, you know, put away for savings, pay for schooling equipment, pay for personal stuff, but I can, you know, skate. Um, and... I bring this up because there have I've had this epiphany where if I don't feel stable, I have to restrict myself, and that includes skating. Um, despite my incessant urge for wanting to use it as a means of escapism, in those moments where I can't control what's happening, I want to just escape and skate, and that's when it would happen for hours and hours on end and it just kind of brings me back down it kind of calms my body it's a means of self-soothing but when I am in a space of you know a lot more stability I use it as a means to amplify my mood to socialize with my friends to you know I use it as a celebratory means versus like an escapist means of um coping um yeah it's yeah it definitely depends um but I try to be more in control with using it as a means of escapism um, because I don't want to tarnish my relationship with skating. I do want it to be something that I know will always be there for me. The same with visual art and animation. I know they'll always be there for me and I don't want it to be a means where I resent them because they've caused me more anguish or they have a lot more negative energy or experiences connected to them than positive. Mm. So, yeah. That's that's really my journey that's been the last three years, just maneuvering through those eras and those mindsets and those mental shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's like a level of intentionality to how you're engaging with it, or at least mm-hmm. you try to have a level of intentionality. Very intentional, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to fall into like the habit of dissociating and dissociating. So I guess yeah. trying to be aware of how how we cope with things. Um, just in the general sense, can positively or neutrally affect your your mindset on other things. It's very easy to fall into the habit of dissociating in general in New York City, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so when you find something that you like doing, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, let me just go dissociate mm-hmm. and do that thing, I guess. Like, I don't know. 
Let me go get my little coffee, take a little walk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with my little headphones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you ever leave a skate session frustrated that something has gone unexpressed, whether that be processing through movement or words exchanged? And what other outlets do you have for sort of tapping into and processing your feelings? Not necessarily skate sessions um, as a whole, but I usually would find myself leaving frustrated from skate gigs if there are, you know, there are difficult, questionable personalities, a lack of communication on what we're supposed to be doing, no progress in, you know, developing, for example, choreography or, you know, meeting the objectives that we were given and hired to fulfill. That's usually when I get frustrated. But in terms of sessions, I, I'd i be upset if there's an asshole who knocks down my friend because they weren't paying attention or, you know, there's somebody who's saying a really raunchy, out-of-pocket, you know, comment to me. But I usually have a means of saying I'm not okay with that or I just admittedly don't fuck with that person. It doesn't really stay or linger on my mind as much as, you know, like an opportunity where we're supposed to be professional and we're supposed to get shit done. That's that's when I get frustrated because, you know, we're wasting not only our time, but the client's time. And yeah, I, I take that very seriously. I, when it comes to professional opportunities, I'm very serious and I'm very meticulous about how we're going to get thing do- things done or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially when there's like with gigs, it's like there's a level of professionalism and it's kind of like you're you're making mm-hmm. my life harder if we can't all kind of show up and like do the thing in a certain way or like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it will really work together well and stuff like that. Yeah, like it's we're hired here to be a team. You know, everybody has their different roles, but at the end of it all, we're skaters who are getting paid to perform, entertain and get shit done. And yeah, again, that's usually when I find myself more frustrated when we're not when we're not reaching an objective professionally. So we're talking a bit about some of the difficult interactions that we can have that can be frustrating in a space. But what about those interactions that are just a little more transcendent? And I say all this to say, who are some of your favorite skaters to watch and why? That list is unlimited. Um, my friend Keegan, I love, I love skating with Keegan. I feel like it's always a good time. He has this like 70s disco chick kind of energy to him. And I just I just enjoy watching him because he could do some dumb stuff, but it looks cool at the same time. And we could just vibe off of each other's energy. I love skating with Keegan and he's also one of my close friends. Um, Mari is another one. Um, I'm going to be listing a couple of buds. Um, Mari is another one because she just gets lost in her element and when you join her little bubble, even like at Roller Wave, we had a moment where we were just, you know, call and responsing with our flows and we started voguing because Madonna was on. And yeah, that was that was fun. And she texted me and said, yo, that's I really enjoy those moments when I get to just vibe with my friends. And I say, no, I'm the same exact way. Elijah, Jill, Josh, Sage, Johnny, Rocky shy i love watching because they all have different flows and vibes to them johnny's very swag oriented rocky i don't rocky's indescribable he's always he's always sliding everywhere doing some 
funny shit, cool shit, all at the same time. And he's teaching Shy how to use his Stacy's, use her Stacy's, excuse me. Jill has this serenity about her skating, but she's also technically proficient. And she's always like, I'm not good. I'm not good. And I have to be bullshit. <laughs> you, you have it. You have it. And watching her flow in relation to Josh is so funny because he's so chaotic, but he's also just as smooth. He, he just has an array of different styles. And so does she in in their skate repertoire and, and, and it's just inspiring for listeners josh and jill are a couple but oh. <laughs> she is referring yes, they to are. they're so sweet <laughs> they are so we'll sweet. have to put links same to with, all these um, people so the listeners yes, know who we're talking about yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's the same with mikey and Jeanette. just watching them skate mikey's always tap dancing in his skates Jeanette is just free flowy and cutesy. And when they get together, it's just so sweet to watch them skate. They're always doing random choreo. Um, who else? Miss Lene and Kodo. Kodo always has his step. And every time, even at Disco Oasis, he was one of my castmates. And I would pass him on the floor. I'd be like, hey, Kodo. He'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then just be in his flow. <laughs> Same with um, Miss Lene. She's always playing with her hands. She's doing a lot of hand choreography, foot choreography in her skates. And yeah, the list goes on, y'all. Like, yeah, there's just so many, so many different beautiful skaters. Emeline. Emeline's another one. She, if anybody knows her, French mm. New Yorker, she has the Sola style. Very, oh my she God. She skates a Frankie a lot. I can't describe her. Her and Frankie. Frankie's style is like. Yeah. <laughs> Frankie. He's, he's, he's teaching me break dancing. He's also beautiful. Yes. So like he's he's had a lot of shit happen. But he also has this wonderful mindset behind it. And he's doing his work to heal. And I'm just so proud to see that. But the way that those two just, they flow from one another. It's, it's so entertaining. Like I said, the list goes on. Like I think. Yeah, just so many beautiful people. That's yeah. what, and I think those are all like New York skaters for the most part. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, for listeners, Ari is naming off a lot of New York skaters, so we'll have to list them all for you. Yeah. yeah. A lot of all those people that you mentioned are are really cool. I think I've met all of them at least once, the people that you've named. Mm-hmm. And they're all just very like open-minded, welcoming people in the world of skating and you, you can never have too much of that. In fact, I feel like we need more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to go with that, I haven't seen her in a very long time because she and Sage moved. But Britt, Britt was one of the reasons. When Britt was skating with Rocky, I wanted to learn how to partner skate because of those two. They just had this. There's a chemistry that you want to achieve in partner skating, and they have it. They have it tenfold. I have never seen any other partner skating duo skate the way that they do it's just so synchronistic so natural so many so many talented people so many talented. yeah i'm appreciating your appreciation of also just like the people around you like i feel like it's really easy to get caught in that trap of like oh all these like really famous skaters that i follow on instagram are my favorite people to watch and it's like no like honestly like especially in skate community especially somewhere like new york it's like actually if you just look around like there's so many like sick skaters whether or not they're choosing there's to like, so much all here social media platform or not like yeah 
there's a lot to appreciate in like your own home mm-hmm. region, your own community in a lot of different ways. And so I'm just like really appreciating yeah, your appreciation for all these folks and um also yeah. seen a good good number yeah, of it's them just, skate and they're incredible, you know. It's and that's the thing. It's like you can ha- social media has the saturation of really great skaters. I super great skaters. They've been able to go commercial, to go perform, to be with the ushers, to be with the pinks in the industry. And I know a lot of them interpersonally, very beautiful people. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I'm exposed to on a weekly basis are the people that are also my friends in New York. Mm -hmm. So I I just I want to see more people that are a little more low key get the recognition. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like this was and is the perfect time to shout out them. Speaking to the climate of being a skater in New York in a time where roller skating is kind of struggling to find its footing because we had this big boom and things are slowing down a bit. The access to rinks has been in flux in the city over the pandemic skate boom years up until now and pop-up rinks open and there's always or there always seems to be a gap in serving the community whether it's a lack of profitability or inability to secure permanent real estate it seems a near impossible task to secure the ideal combination of a wood floor and the understanding of the culture, including the need for skate DJs to bring authenticity to the space. What do you think it will take to move us into a chapter where the city has a viable venue to support our community in a stable way? I know that's a big question. (laughs) No, I think the first step is actively including the skaters in the room when they're bringing up these pop-up rinks because I feel like everybody's always about this profit margin, what they're going to do, who they're allocating for. And it's usually people who have, you know, the class and the financial means to give and provide the money for these establishments. And they're not Mm -hmm. particularly skaters themselves. And I feel like, the conversation would go exponentially different if you had a skater of 50 plus years, 30 years, 19 years saying this is actually what's going to keep the revenue if you're concerned solely with money and here's why. Keyword hard floors, it's very difficult to find a spot that's that has good music, that has good ambiance, but it would be smooth concrete or it would be Mataflex. Mataflex is not long-term. It's not weather-resistant. Smooth concrete is not meant for all wheels. It doesn't have the velvet, buttery feel that a wood floor does, especially a freshly done wooden floor. Yeah, I, I just think that if you want to have a rink, you need to include the skaters again in that conversation. And until people are willing to listen to us, we're not going to have, we're not going to have home rinks especially in New York. A lot of them already closed. If you want to go to a rink, you're going to Skate Town in Ackerd, Ranch Brook in Jersey. You're going to United Skates in Massapequa. And for a lot of people, that's not that's not feasible. It's like a two-hour commute, two-hour plus commute, regardless of where you're going. And yeah, they I, this whole short-term thinking um, for a profit margin, I think somebody needs to realize it's not working. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody needs to put the puzzle pieces together and say, maybe we should do this differently um, because we're losing pop-up rink after pop-up rink and we're only getting two more. So hopefully these two 
have a plan where they are thinking beyond the winter season. I will say I recently went up to skate time with Elijah and a lot of the people that you mentioned. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were in the, attendance. You went to the Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was a great mm-hmm. experience. But I bring it up specifically, too, because skate time has a really novel concept, which is for those who are unaware, Ari, I'm sure you're already aware, is the reason why skate time was able to exist is because Bjornkorn, local popcorn business here in New York, was expanding beyond the size of Mm -hmm. their existing warehouse. So they bought this old skate rink and they needed someone to run the skate rink and the other half of the facility was then going to house their popcorn warehouse and i just think that's so amazing for one that they didn't just ditch the skate rink altogether thank you for that bjorn corn if you're listening you're probably not listening but we love you your popcorn is delicious it's the also. best popcorn i've ever eaten <laughs> for the love of god you I should be but there's something listen there's something i love the vegan popcorn <laughs> there's something to be said for that because you know roller skating isn't always usually is not uh, the most viable business. But if you're in partnership or in tandem with a business that is more, has a more ubiquitous business model, has a business model that is more um, mainstream and consumed by more people, then the skating gets to stay alive. And I just wonder if there's something like that that could happen in New York City. Like what mm-hmm. what business do we need to partner with? Well, and I think that's why we get a lot of the concrete floors is because you have these multi-use spaces where it's like something can pop up there or it can be other things at other times of the day. And that's, all, mm-hmm. I think, becomes difficult. You know what I mean? It's like there's all these different layers to it, I feel like. It's like maintaining the wood floor is its own thing, having a skating rink is its mm-hmm. own thing. Which is also why I like that model of Bjornkorn. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're like, let's just keep this whole whole ass rink together, I guess. But I think like thinking about the new rink in Bushwick, like they're, <laughs> they're not just going to have skating there. You know, they're going to have a concrete floor and they're going to have skating, but they're going to have just like dancing in your shoes, you know. So they're trying to make it more multi-purpose because I think, you know, skating is not going to keep it afloat by itself. But I'm thinking something like even more more stable than like a nightclub or something like yeah. something something akin to to popcorn that wants to share space with us. Something more akin to popcorn. <laughs> we just need to get into the popcorn business, y'all. That's the model. That's where the money's That's at. <laughs> but yeah, I really the blueprint is right in front of us. I really want to have um, Tara from Skate Time and. The Bjorn Corn guys on the podcast. Eventually, <laughs> I really do. Tell us about your business model. Heck yeah! <laughs> and she she cares about us too. She's very Tara is a very sweet person, and she cares about the community. And every time that the last two times that I've gone up, she's just showed immense gratitude for us even showing up in the first place. And it's like, girl, of course we're gonna show up. You are you are caring for us, and you care about this community, and you're also a skater yourself. Yeah. So. Of, of course, it's reciprocity at this point. Yeah, I feel like it takes a lot of a network of really dedicated people to keep things moving. Even, you know, that weekend at mm-hmm. skate time, a bunch of roller skaters were able to go up because local skaters, Elijah Justice, who we've had on the podcast, and also a friend of all three of us, Jeanette, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Squeals, and her husband, Michael, organized 
a trip up there and just, you know, the commitment that goes into that to increase access to other people mm-hmm. is can't be understated. And I also just want to add that Elijah drove us up there on the foggiest mountain roads and there was like zero visibility in front of him and he was completely unfazed. He's a great uh-huh. driver. So Elijah, if you're listening, shout out to your driving skills. <laughs> I can I can vouch for that yeah. too. Absolutely. Very smooth phenomenal. ride. I was I was so impressed. I'm I'm always Woo-hoo. impressed by him. So diverse. Same. Jesus. Uh, he's a trip. But yeah, I mean I, I guess it really all comes down to organizing and passion and passion. Yeah. And connection to community mm-hmm. and friendship. You, we have to, <laughs> we have to know each True. other. I feel like, like I say that as a joke, but also I feel like we wouldn't have all of those other attributes if we didn't actually know each other and we didn't spend the time with each other outside mm-hmm. of skating. That's true. There's all that. There's also that layer. Definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. Definitely. Speaking of passionate people, one of your passions is for your artwork, your visual artwork. And I want to talk a little bit about how roller skating flows into that. So has roller skating informed your artwork at all? It has in the idea sense, but I haven't fully executed them out of fear. I've realized that if I want to do something in relation to, you know, skating I want it to be something that can be shared so the idea I've been sitting on for the longest was developing a prototype for a skate bag a skate tote that doesn't feel too heavy but also is very fashionable and cute and very multifaceted so you have enough room for skates and additional things or even like I hate to get really morbid and very serious but even doing donation-based prints or stickers to donate to Palestine. I've been thinking about that for the longest. And it's just a matter of, you know, executing the idea, funding the prints from a third-party print shop. One, I use Fireball Printing. They're phenomenal. Absolute, they're based in Philadelphia. But it's just, you know, I want it to be, I want it to be correct. I want it to be precise when it comes to those types of, you know, current events. But yeah, skating has only trickled in my work via, you know, doodles or idea concepts. And I think it's about time that I give it that love. Another concept I've wanted to do is like a a print illustration series called Roller Cunt. And it would be inspired by my style of skating and my style of dressing where she would have her fan while she's skating or she is in the middle of a dip and it wouldn't just be image-based. It would be animation that I would practice. I would shoot the reference videos and I would do the cycles for that. And it would she would just become like her own phenomenon and I'd want to share that. And yeah, at some point, I think 2024 will be the year because I'm, I miss animating and I, I want to get a program for it again. I want to get the licensing for it. And I think... That would be a beautiful debut for Roller Cunt to have her like skating yeah. onto the screen. Let's do a uh, premiere. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of roller skating, what are some other influences on your art? I love reading. I this is the season. This is my favorite season, and I finally decided to get a couple of horror books. Um, so I'll show them <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> 
So I picked up the original Coraline and I wanted to read it and imagine it from my perspective so far. It's very, it's similar, but not the same as the Leica film production version, which is very iconic. I love that version. I watch it time and again. But yeah, I wanted to reimagine it from my perspective via the novel. I picked up Classic Horror Tales by Edgar Allan Poe. I didn't get to start it. I finished up the introduction and that's it because I've been reading so much for school and also the creative way i've heard of the artist so, way but not the creative way it's yeah. spiral way. the rick rubens book cool i picked it up for 15 dollars because there was no way i was paying like 40 dollars for this book what's the Absolutely story with not. the creative way but yeah annotating um it's very philosophical if you read books like 101 essays that'll change the way you think or atomic mm. habits it's kind of an amalgam of that amalgam of those ways of thinking and perceiving your creative abilities and your creative practice overall and consolidating it in a really beautiful way. I I found a lot of inspiration in starting my mornings with this or my train rides with this and it's just given me a different perspective on how to think about when I don't feel motivated or I don't feel inspired. You can work through that if you give yourself the five, ten minutes. You'll eventually build that momentum which flows into a flow state and you'll be working for like three hours so i i highly recommend it i like the way that i i I like the way that they communicate about thinking of art and then the last one it's just a collection of horror books that i saw and it just talks about i started the introduction for this as well and it just talks about horror in a way that's not cookie cutter It talks about it from a passionate state. A lot of people think of horror and they think about shock value and they think about jump scares, but it really goes into the nitty gritty of how it it makes you feel psychologically and in the long run. So I'm really excited to get into these stories. I bring these up because my current project is like a horror take on Rumpelstiltskin for school. Oh, wow. So I designed it with the colorway of like, like a Halloween, like Michael Myers movie or... Corpse Bride, like it's the same kind of ambiance, but for Rumpelstiltskin, because we usually think of him as like this little elf motherfucker. But <laughs> if you really think about it, he's a demon. He fully breaks in half at the end when Homegirl says his name. Like that's that's kind of jarring if you think about it. I always thought Rumpelstiltskin so, was scary. I'm really into so, horror. I'm really you. into plants. Dude, that dude's creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah, he. It's creepy. It's so. Like, why is this little man in, in my vicinity in the middle of the night? Why is he making deals Not in with my vicinity. me? He wants my firstborn? No, that's weird. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but yeah, I love a lot of... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. A lot of films inspire me. Like even, like again, Pennywise is on my t-shirt. I, I love the way that films make me feel. I love the way that... I can now dissect them and see what's working and not working from an animator or a concept artist perspective. Um, And it could be, you're going to change like the genre, turning red from Pixar or the Powerpuff Girls from Cartoon Network or like I assess everything now and it makes me appreciate what I do in my own craft and how I can implement those inspirations into my own Mm. projects. Yeah. So I hope, no and beyond i feel intrigued by a lot of the titles that you brought up we'll definitely have to uh, put a list of those in the show notes for listeners and uh 
my husband's been trying to get me to read Atomic Habits, actually. So since this is the second person that brought it up, perhaps I should read it. <laughs> I think you should. It's not a, It's not convoluted. It's not wordy. It's very straight to the point. And I think you could learn a lot in just the short yeah. amount of time of reading it. Like the biggest thing is you would create systems for the habits that you want to contribute to your daily life. And the mindset behind that is, you know, we have all of these goals, but we don't have the systems behind it to keep them long term. So developing the system can help you feel inspired to reach those goals and maintain them. Yeah. So, yeah, just we're silly creatures. We just need to make things. We need to romanticize things to want to do them. We need to make them enticing to want to can add them to our lives. That's why I, I feel like those days in the life of a content creator or a get ready with me is something that we like to watch. At least I like to watch. I think they're very cute. <laughs> Speaking of content creators, skating and social media are deeply intertwined. This oh. pressure to share or even overshare. I saw you say on Instagram, quote, don't be afraid to do all of this privately. The world doesn't need to know your every move. How do you strike a balance and keep some moments for yourself? Hold those moments, those private moments more sacred. Are you asking how do I do that or do I do that in general? So when I read your quote, I kind of assumed that you were striking a balance, but perhaps I should have asked if if you were striking a balance. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> no, it's no, I, I I think I'm working on that's a that's sweet. I, I am working on it a lot more. I used to be the kind of person that would, you know, again, intentionally share what I want to share. And whether it was family related, you know, relationship related, art related, I am realizing now not everybody needs to have access and not everybody wants the best when they do have access to those mm -hmm. aspects of my life. Even today, there was somebody, there's a couple of people who have done this um throughout my time on Instagram, but there's somebody in particular who just makes it a point to constantly visit and revisit my accounts and try to get my attention and start conversations. And it's not something that I'm really comfortable with. I don't like this notion of somebody feeling entitled to my time just because I happen to be on a social media app or just because they have, you know, access to my number or my email, especially if we haven't spent a lot of time outside of, you know, the digital realm or outside of a professional space, I, I'm very careful with who I spend my time with and who I share my opportunities with, admittedly, because I've shared it with people I thought were friends and they were the same people who backstabbed me. I've shared it with, you know, people on social media and they don't, you know, give the same accolades that I was constantly giving them. Not to say that it needs to be reciprocated, but I can see that it wasn't genuine from their part. Yeah. It was very transactional. So, yeah, I'm also very mindful about, you know, the concept of triggering somebody. I don't know what everybody's going through on a daily basis. And if it happens to be, you know, like a, a good streak in my life and I'm oversharing, I don't want somebody to feel like they have to compare themselves to me. I don't I don't want that to be the case. I want somebody to come and see my stuff and, you know, feel zen, feel relaxed or even feel inspired, but never envious. I that that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel good to potentially be somebody's reason of demise or reason of self-doubt. So I, I try to be mindful of that as well. In terms of, you know, content creation and skating, I think my consensus right now is even though I do share, I realize that not everybody cares and that's fine. I don't I don't need everybody to give me like 
several views or like every post, but it's come to the point where I know that skating is for me first and foremost. So I don't need to share every moment. Or if I'm going to an event, I don't need people to know where I'm going to be because I've also had cyber stalker situations. Um, one happened earlier this year. Yeah, it's it's not fun. It's not fun to have to be on your toes and to know that people are watching you unsolicited. <laughs> so yeah, if I have to post with, like even with Adidas, I worked with Adidas since the spring and some of my posts, you know, they didn't directly say, hey, I'm sponsored by Adidas or Adidas is paying my bills, but, you know, I was still creating content for them. Um, so yeah, it's, I think we keep, coming back to this notion of mindset it's all about the mindset and it's all about the intention behind how you maneuver through things because social media doesn't have to be hard it's actually you can curate it to be whatever you want it to be you can see whatever you want to see and once I came to realize that I don't I don't take it serious I I do take disrespect serious like I I had a recent interaction with somebody in the skate community who just came out of pocket and was just blatantly ageist disrespectful called me a terrorist because i went to a protest for palestine and this was the last person i thought would say something like that so i had to respond and say you know this shocked me as well i didn't think you would be the kind of person to have so much hatred in your heart essentially i didn't think that you would be somebody to project so hard because you don't know what's going on outside of what i'm sharing on social media you don't know what i think you don't know what classes i've taken who has taught me like i One of my courses in college was in the honors program. Uh, I was taught by, you know, like a liberal Jewish man who studies warfare. He studies war and crime and weaponry in addition to telling history from an unbiased lens. So it's like there's only so much you can gather from social media as well. So, um, again, I don't really take it seriously. I don't know what's going on on the other side of that person's screen. And... I know that I'm jumping around a lot, but the point is you have full control on how you're going to be perceived or what you're perceiving in the physical or the digital realm. And I think you should follow suit with whatever you think feels best. Like I know people who take social media detoxes. I know people who are on it every day or they schedule, you know, posts and stuff so they don't have to be on it. It all depends, y'all. It really does. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, particularly the pieces you're talking about around perception. I think like something I've had to let go of over time as well is this idea that like, especially if you're someone who does share kind of candidly on social media, people start to really think that they know you and they start to really take it with, with how they perceive Very you much so. they think that you are. And yeah, in my, yep. I've had a lot of different social media accounts for a lot of different reasons, like the skate shop, like roller derby stuff, personal stuff, like nightlife stuff and I've experienced although each of those is sort of curated a little bit differently or I'm engaging a little bit differently like for many years I was sharing a lot of personal stuff specifically like when I was going through transition things and how I was relating to roller derby as someone who was transitioning actively and stuff Mm -hmm. and it just is really interesting the ways that people do often feel entitled to your time and do make like just really jump to conclusions about what you're doing on or off the screen Mm -hmm. and as I've gotten older I've I've I think gone a little bit more in the direction you're you are in where it sort of is just like I'm gonna post what I'm gonna post and whatever people kind of want to think about it they can think about it because if they don't really know me outside of the space they just mm-hmm. they don't really know me outside of the space and like they can't really say shit about what I'm doing on my day-to-day you know 
but, that part. but it can be, I, you know, I know plenty of people who really struggle mm-hmm. with like, what am I going to put on this platform who, who struggle with maybe wanting to engage, but feeling like they mm-hmm. can't or feeling a sense of pressure or feeling kind of stuck or frozen around how do I actually engage with this? Cause it can be such a weird hostile environment. Sometimes. Especially right now, especially right now, you know, people are thinking yeah, a lot of black and white mm. now in a lot Oof. of Yep. absolutes um they're real quick to jump to conclusions about each other and it's kind of i think it actually hurts our ability to connect as people and humanize one another you know and that makes it challenging yeah it's, that was very well articulated and i'm sorry that you had to experience those notions of people thinking they knew you that's that's never a good feeling and it's never something especially as a compassionate person you always think that you're at fault sure what this person may be misconstruing about you. And mm. I'm just happy that you've reached the space where you're like, I don't give a fuck. You should just be. Um, yeah, I'm also sorry to hear about the fact that you had to deal with like cyber stalkers and people coming at you. And like, it's, yeah, it's not a cute, cute experience. That shit's scary. It comes with the property. Yeah. I, that's, they're adorable experiences. Oh my goodness. <laughs> adorable. Adorb. That's where the practice of boundaries. Yeah, it's adorable. It's great. It's like the once you're like fully like comfortable with yourself, I feel like it's easier to, you know, nip those kinds of interactions in the butt. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but, you know, you have to put you have to put something on the side for you to be able to constructively respond to those things. Some people don't respond at all. And in some cases, that's OK, but it kind of allows the avenue for people to take advantage of you even more so or disrespect you even more so so i'm very i am adamant about people standing up for themselves mm-hmm. very adamant that's something that i want to reflect on a bit too from something that you said earlier that has kind of been a larger theme in our conversation with you today which is making yourself smaller to an extent like you were talking about not wanting to post certain things Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't want to be the reason for someone's demise. But if the reason for their demise is, you know, stemming from Mm -hmm. you sharing something great that happened to you or something that you achieved, I think that that has more to do with, you know, what's going on with them internally and less so with you. So I don't feel like the onus lies with Mm -hmm. you to, to protect them from good things in your life. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one thing to, you know, not want to, share it because you don't want you don't think you like owe it to share it to everyone but i hope that you don't feel stifled or that you're holding back the good things that you're doing because i feel like people that are gonna feel defeated by watching you succeed they're just gonna see someone else succeed and also feel defeated by that so it's something more that they need to process and I don't think you should have to you know subvert your thoughts and feelings for other people I understand not wanting to like trigger someone like if you're putting something that's harmful out there but you know I just I just wanted to I just wanted to name that I'd like to see you feel empowered to share whatever it is that you want to share yeah thank you no yeah it's don't dim your shine I think in regards to that part thank you no yeah it's it's always just trying to be mindful of everybody because you know like I a lot of people on my platform or whatever platform I have, I don't, they are people I know in real life or I've met in real life. And for some of them, I know they're going through it. And for others, I know they just don't particularly like me and they just want to keep me around on their feet so they could watch me. And 
when it comes to the latter, right, I, I want to make sure that if I am sharing something that's that's wonderful, that I think is great, that I think a lot of people would resonate with, it's done in a timely manner. But when it comes to more candid things or more, you know, um, conceptually complicated things, um, I, I want to be more mindful of that because, you know, the Internet is a space where if you're not vocalizing it and you're writing it out, it could be misconstrued. And yeah, I, I get worried sometimes about speaking on social media. So I, I'm very careful with what I write and want to be mindful of that. Same with photos. Like I want to be mindful of the kind of photos I share or what I'm sharing. Never, never to the pleat though. So thank you. Thank you for that gentle yeah. reminder. Yeah. And even like beyond the personal stuff, like you were talking about going to a protest and having somebody call you a terrorist because of that. It's just it's such a difficult time to be able to have conversations with people, especially in the U.S. in terms of just like, yeah, there's just the legacy of colonization just has created this experience where everyone, not everyone, but people are just like we keep going down this this road of like getting more and more dehumanizing towards each other and less and less good at like actually having conversations and actually yeah. like holding nuance and that is i think perpetuated especially by social media where everything's little sound bites or little po small posts and it's way more black and white and it's way more uh this or that you know and it's not so again nuanced you know and, and i think um yeah, I just see us as a society in America just really struggling with that uh, to the nth degree in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, it's challenging. Challenging times. I agree. I, I think it's a lot of us are like, let's just take away, you know, social media, roller skating, passions, hobbies. A lot of people are living in survival mode. A lot of people don't know what it is to just take a breather they don't know the normalization of having the means to, you know, scroll on their phone for hours on end or read a book or just chat with a loved one. They have to worry about mm -hmm. surviving. They have to worry about making money, especially if they have, you know, families. And I think that kind of depletes the notion of, again, a sense of understanding or compassion because everybody's so engraved in their problems and their lives because they, they want better for themselves. And when you do have these really difficult conversations, it's hard to have the understanding of the mutual respect because not everybody's perspective. They haven't been, there's a lack of socialization in that regard. There's, um, at least this is, this is just my observation. This is just an inference that I have because it really is a privilege to be able to have a conversation and reflect like this, right? be able to see the nuances and to see the hiccups in somebody's like mental state because they don't have they don't have the time to self-reflect and I do think society is at fault largely at fault for that the dehumanization the lack of rhetoric that we get to have with each other the lack of time to the self like that's that's also another privilege the means to liberate themselves to take ownership in a lot of cases of what they do in their lives and yeah I, I don't know. It's you guys said it time and again. It's not black and white. It really there is no one solution. There is no one answer. But they all have an amalgamation of effects on oh, yeah. everybody. Yeah, there's so many layers to it. So many layers to it. 
I just, I think, I guess the last thing I'll say is that I, I just hope in this lifetime we can stop repeating things that we've already visited mm-hmm. because we've had this just three years ago. Just three years ago, there was rampant protesting, knowledge-based sources, donation pools for all of the killings of black and brown people in this country. And it keeps on going back. You, like, I, what, when do we learn is my question. When does it end? I, I just riddle me that, Batman. Come on. Like, I just need to know. Somebody tell me. It's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know if Mac has any other questions for you, but I have two small questions. Ooh. This is, this is for me. This is for myself. What is your advice for skaters who feel like they're putting in the time but not progressing? It's about me. <laughs> Especially from someone who's you progressed said so I'm much skaters. in a short amount of time. Yeah. Asking no, for a friend. Yeah. Asking for a friend, and I'll answer for a friend. No, it's really... It really does take time. It's patience with oneself. I think it's also an how you're learning a specific move or learning to think about a specific flow. Skating with other people definitely helps because they're able to correct you if you're doing something. Like, for example, I've had many friends say, you need to keep your shoulders in line because when you spin, you have one shoulder that goes down, which is why you're falling out of it. That Mm. correction in and of itself, I can spin seven spins eight spins i'm not a nina who can do like 13 14 15 spins but i'm i I can spin i can spin enough um same with pendulum kicks um you can just throw your leg out and hope to spin that way it's not gonna happen because you have to you have to make sure that your weight is distributed on the leg that's on the ground when you do swing your leg your hip has to open so that you can do a semi-pivot in space in place and then keep the momentum going like it's it's all of these nuances that somebody else can't that's done it can help you through and with um recording yourself man recording yourself doing stuff playing it back at least for me helps me to self-correct so that i know if i look a bit silly and goofy i know that i'm not going to do that again (laughs) and even just watching other skaters like watching skaters, seeing how they do a move, comparing it to how you did it in the video. And I watch a lot of skate videos and I see how a lot of my buds or even some skaters who I'm inspired by, I see how they do the same thing that I'm practicing. And then I apply that to what the form looks in, like in the video. Um, it's It's very subjective skating. I feel like no two people are going to have the same journey or experience. It's just a matter of how you translate what's already been done to your body and how you can change it and diversify it and make it your own. Because not everybody's body works the same. My Kodo, to go back to him, two broken hips. He's still still able to do a lot of a lot of moves, but. He says he can't do floor work, and I respect that because, you know, there's only so much your robot hips can do. Like, it's the body gives out at some time. It's, it's we're, we're not here forever. And I feel like, yeah, just doing what you can with what you have and learning how to compromise when you can't do certain things is it's definitely helpful. Just being kind to yourself. You, you're not going to skate the same way your, your best friends do. Why? 
I hope that helps. I really do. Yeah, you said I'm what? Kidding, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, it'll be similar, I'm being silly, but not I'm being the same. Silly. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. That was funny. <laughs> You're funny for that. The final question that I personally have for you Ooh. is, Ari, <laughs> if you could walk into I any just... rink space and have everyone there know one thing about you before you even hit the floor, what would it be? Ooh. I really like that question. I think it would be my warmth. I feel like for the most part, I, I'm i not a standoffish person or I try not to be. Um, I'm not up my own ass. At least I don't think I am. <laughs> I genuinely don't carry a lot of you know, like my negative experiences into and on other people I skate with or interact with. And yeah, skating is our like safe haven. If I'm going into that space, I want somebody to feel just as warm as I'm feeling when I'm about to skate for like several hours. I don't, I'm not about projection in a way that depletes somebody from their good time. I like sharing that good time. I like learning from other people. And I just hope that there's one thing people will know what if if skating isn't as accessible like they they could remember me as like a warm person a warm person who you know cares about the people in her space who is very passionate about what she does and you know can tell a joke or two it's like she's kind of funny <laughs> yes. that's a really beautiful question thank you for that yeah i thought of it because I think about all the anxieties that I feel like when I walk into a skate space, whether it's the skate park or the rink or whatever it is, and that tension that comes from people not knowing you, I think it would be really helpful for them to just know one thing. <laughs> I think that would help me a lot if we could all like go in a circle and be like, but, tell me one thing about you. No, but like from your heart. But even that one thing, <laughs> that one thing is we all skate. That's a very, gr that's a phenomenal starting point. It's just a matter of what comes after knowing that that person skates. You know, like we're all here for the same reason. It's just a matter of what we're doing with that time, you know? I don't know. That's, mm -hmm. I, I understand where it's coming from though. And I, I just always want to talk and no one, no one wants to talk. They're like, let's just skate. I'm like, can we talk first? <laughs> <laughs> can we just chat Sometimes for a bit? Just for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're walking it's hard, into it's hard like a twenty-five dollar session. No, I understand that. <laughs> like I, I know people who are like, I just spent thirty dollars to get here, and there's only one hour left. I don't want to talk. I just want to skate. So, like, if it's that happenstance kind of situation, like I know, I understand why that person wouldn't wouldn't want to talk. But if you're both there right when it starts, let's have oh, a chat. Yeah. Let's have a, yeah, let's yeah. Have a discussion. No, I'm not holding it against them for not wanting to no, no, talk, no. but I still want to talk. <laughs> You're funny Just for to that. Be clear. No. no, I, I hear that. Something to be said for that connection, though. You know, like it, to me, it seems like you do need to have a little bit more of a connection with the people around you in order to like feel safe and like. Yeah, safety is the biggest. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think a lot of. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of rink spaces are necessarily set up to, like, support that necessarily. Like, I'm actually, mm -hmm. this is, like, such a strange, like, crossover kind of, but 
I went to a play party once that was like semi-private, you know, this mm. is like one of my first times in New York and I didn't play parties in like Columbus, but I like knew a lot of people that were going just from community. And this is a space where it's like, I really didn't know anyone. I was just there with my partner. And, you know, at the beginning we go around, we say our names, our pronouns, like what we are, what we're kind of looking for that night, any mm. of our like hard limits. And then like a fun fact about us. And there was like 20 people, you know, but for me, that was enough to, for me to feel like, oh, okay, I feel like I'm seen enough in this space and I'm seeing the people mm -hmm. around me enough in this space to feel like I have an understanding of how I fit in socially. Whereas like, I don't really I go see. to play parties where it's like an inferno thing or something where it's like, just pull up, go to coat check and start like fucking around. <laughs> I know it's like a strange thing, but it's like, in, in, yeah. you know, it's like when you're doing something that's kind of vulnerable to you, whether it's self-expression on skates or you're trying a skill that you're not as comfortable with, like there is something to be said for having a little bit of connection with people. So I can appreciate that that's mm -hmm. something that you need, you know, or that that's yeah. something that yeah. comfortable. And I can also fully appreciate the people that are like, yeah, no, I'm just here to skate, which is probably me most I'm of the just time. Here to I'm, like, I don't, I'm good. Don't let me just, like, let me just. No, I understand that. It's kind of like, <laughs> no, yeah, zone out. It, it's, to go back to Jasmine's yeah. point, like, I understand that, too, because it's like going, I've heard many a story about, you know, starting a drama course or being in a drama class, and you don't know anybody that's there. So for you to be vulnerable, you have those kinds of, like, icebreakers. I think that's that should be normalized in skate um, events as well. I, I do agree. I think that would help a lot of people who aren't used to socialization in a larger capacity. And having those icebreakers can really just, you know, further yeah. community. So... I know I was joking around, but I, I do agree. Like, it'll make things a lot easier if you understand or have a foundation for the people that you're going to be immersed yeah. in and with. Yes. Ari, what are you going to be doing for the winter time with your skating situation? In terms of, like, skating, I think I'm still going to make way to Branchbrook or to skate time. I'm, I like carpooling with Rocky and Johnny and them. Like, it, it's always a good time. They're always looking out to have more people involved in those skate nights, and it's usually better so i don't mind the trucks but other than that i'll just be thinking a lot about skating i feel like that's another way i learn i i envision it when i'm not skating for long periods so my body kind of just retains how to do it all right it's very fun mental practice i don't know if you guys have seen the queen's gambit but it's similar to that kind of visualization tactic where she teaches herself how to play chess by envisioning it so that's cool to hear because I do that with performance stuff too. I do that with choreo. Like most of the time when I'm Hell watching yeah. music, I'm thinking about choreo for like drag numbers and stuff. And mm -hmm. then I'm like, all right, let me see if I can put that into my body and like start doing it. I love that because even with your performances that I've seen, they're so natural. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Y'all are dope. Y'all are dope folk. Mm -hmm. No, you are. We're <laughs> no, all you. collectively, the three of us, <laughs> we're killing it. Look. Oh, Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks for joining us on this day after Halloween, evening after Halloween. All right. Well, thanks for making time. It was cool chatting and bonding with you again Likewise, for the third time. Like, for the third time. <laughs> Listen, and I beautiful. feel like each of those times, they've been so different, but they've been similar, but not the same. And I feel like there's been a lot of different stories. So thank you for having me three times and for wanting to get this story out or have this you're episode now, or have me tell me. You're now our most interviewed guest. <laughs> Fuck it. What a record to hold. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
Yes. What an honor. I'd like to thank the Academy. So yeah, with that, bye. Bye. Bye, Ari. Goodbye. <laughs> bye, y'all. Hey, Jasmine here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We want to thank you for your continued support of the Skaterade podcast. And if you'd like to keep up with us, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as on Instagram at Skaterade Pod. Don't forget to give us a like, a follow, or leave a review to make it easier for folks to find our podcast. If you've done all of that and you want to show your support with a Skaterade sticker or patch, you can find links to scoop them up in our show notes and Instagram link tree. Thank you so much for all you do. Skate hard. Have fun.